What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Alex Pardee. He and I have known each other through the art world for a, a number of years now, um, but we actually just met in person in the real lives um, last year at Comic-Con. He took the time to sit down and do an interview via Skype from his studio in the Bay Area. We talk Ilu Beards, Antioch, Bart, Barry McGee, Crawdads, Do-It-Yourself, Zero Friends, Zines, The Used, Pop-Up Stores, Upper Playground, Workation, Sketch for Sketch Tour, Twitter, Passion, Anxiety and Mental Health, Circadian Rhythm, Charlie Sheen, David Cho, Donald Duck, Aesop and Kimya Dawson, Comic-Con, and Sucker Punch. Um, so make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com and click on the blog. You can go and see all the information about each artist. As always, thank you to everybody who's donated to the podcast. Um, your donations are extremely appreciated, and I'm very grateful. The goal next is to to get um, some XLR mics. I use a USB mic and just use a single mic and talk to guests together with the with the same mic, which is doable for the setup that I have now. But um, if I can raise a few hundred bucks, I can get two XLR mics and a mixer. And then the the ultimate goal is to get a laptop as well and be able to do um, podcasts on the go, which I may just get a credit card and go into debt to set it up and then hopefully maybe be able to pay it off. But if you're enjoying the show and want to donate to help the cause, make sure you click on the blog and find the PayPal link, which is on each episode. Um, and you could donate a buck or 10 bucks or 20 bucks or more. And if you do, you'll be sure to receive a little live free swag in the mail. So make sure you do all that if you can. If not, the show's always free. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and you can rate and review the show over there as well. So make sure you also check out my sponsor, dsdshop.com, for all your defending San Diego needs or whatever your anagram. Is that what it is, anagram? Whatever that is for yourself, uh, make sure you go do that. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Alex Party. Give me like some check checks. Uh, let's see. Let's give some check checks. I can read this Bic pen. It says Bic Ultra Round Stick Grip right here. I can read you some Neosporin. <laughs> um, let's see. The label in the Neosporin reads, for external use only, which I've already failed, do not use if you are allergic to any of the ingredients. Do not use in your eyes. Do not use as lubricant. It doesn't say that, but that's... Don't lube your eyes, is what it's saying. Don't lube your eyes. Don't lube your eyes. Okay. I like your beard. Your beard. Thank you, my friend. It, it is almost too much. I'm, I'm ready for <laughs> it to be gone. But it yeah. keeps like, as soon as those thoughts come into my head, it's like, no, let me stay, let me stay. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. It, it literally convinces me like it's some sort of outside entity. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to to be able to get to the point where if I take a drink and the mustache goes into the, into the, the liquid, I I'm like, all right, it's time. You know, I, I make an effort not to trim because that like, for me, it goes 
against what the beard stands for. <laughs> but it's that thing. It's like it starts to loop into your lip. Like, I don't know how those, like, big, rugged cowboy, like, movie western types would have oh. the mustache that goes over your bottom lip. Yeah, you can't even see any mouth. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. How do you eat? I was thinking they must get, like, a rubber band and, like, strap it, like, pull, stick the rubber band underneath and, like, cover their whole face so it pulls up, yeah, yeah. you know? They must it, do something. Yeah, there's got to be an invention. All right, I think, I think we're pretty good. Let's, um... Let's jump right into this thing. How's, uh, how's the podcast going? Oh, dude, it's fantastic. I'm having such a great time doing it, and it, it's been beneficial for me um, on a number of levels. And at the same time, like I've always been someone who's interested in promoting things that I enjoy. You right. know, like I, I understand the importance of people talking about other people's work. To other people you know having the side conversations so like for me i feel like i'm i'm sort of doing something for a community as a whole like just sharing these things yeah, that yeah, maybe yeah. some people wouldn't wouldn't find out like there's a lot of people in san diego that that aren't familiar with all the amazing work that's being done up and down the coast you know right. just on our coastline that um, I'll, I'll be able to share you know and i've well, done there's that nothing, there's nothing on itunes like it either you know I know that's what I was crazy. looking for too. I, Travis Louie just did a, a podcast yesterday with, I guess, um, somebody who does a radio show, like a live radio show. Huh. But comedians use use this format so much, right? And for me, like understanding where, for instance, I listen to a bunch of comedian podcasts, so understanding where these guys are coming from and and being able to relate to them on a different level has made me appreciate their art from right. a new standpoint. And I think that, that that this is doing that for people who maybe, especially people in my own community who aren't familiar with all these processes that go on for artists and creative types. So it's it's been really rad to share. But um, let's talk about you instead of my ugly ass. Yeah, but I like talking about you. Right. I don't know if I'm good at talking about No, it's okay. We'll go back and forth. I'll, uh, I got too big of an ego to not talk about myself for too long. I'll have to get in on the show, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, where did you grow up at? Uh, I grew up in Antioch, California, which is uh, it's about 40 miles east of uh, San Francisco. Um, it's a little, kind of like a little, the, the, the best thing that I can compare it to, to like, you know, mass media or whatever, is like a more suburban version of Gummo. You know, it was pretty white trashy, pretty, but, but all track homes. So, uh, the people were gummo, the homes were track homes, so it was a little weird. But uh, there was no, there was no art culture there, really. I mean, in the Bay Area there was, but you know, when you live in a small town, you don't even go over the hill. So, my first exposure to any kind of art was uh, was hopping on the bus when um, there's a public transportation system out here called BART, and but BART didn't even go out to Antioch all the way out there, so you had to take the BART bus like a half an hour to go just to the train to just to go to San Francisco. So as soon as I was like 15, 16, my friends and I would just hop on the bus, hop on the BART and then go out to the city. And that was, that was like my first like introduction to like anything art related. It was like, Oh my God, like the city contains not only like crazy people, but look, there's art around. Like that was when I first, you know, saw Barry McGee stuff when Twist was doing all that stuff and saw, you know, like that was kind of 
the first like exposure and like when I was 15 and I was just like man like art's pretty cool you know whatever so were you seeing graffiti then was like a was was that like a first I, I assume that you probably did creative things as, as a young kid like we all do sort of right oh yeah yeah no I mean I, I guess that I should have made it a little bit more clear that was a that was kind of my first exposure to culture in general like outside of like yeah. things comic books and cartoons and, and, and the normal kind of, you know, the suburban stuff that, that you are subjected to. But yeah, I mean, you know, when I was, when I was really little, the first, I, I always kind of doodled the thing that, that kind of like started it was my sister and I would go down and we would catch crawdads in the sewer and by behind this church. And then there was a, like a dump, like a recycling dumpster there that we would jump into and we would get all the daily comic strips and Sunday funnies and stuff out of all these comics and cut them up and just like trace them and draw them and, and all that thing. So I was just, you know, drawing really shitty versions of Hagar and Garfield and, and Drabble and like making my own word balloons and making them say stupid shit. And, and that was kind of like where it started from. And then it was just kind of like, that was about, I don't know, probably first, second grade. And then about third grade, Garbage Bill Kids came out and that was like my first exposure to like, whoa, it's like cartoons, but like they're fucked up. Like you can make weird, you know, and that was my first exposure to any kind of like demented side. And luckily it was early on. So then I was able to force my dementia later. So it's funny how people from our, you know, our generation, if that's a thing, have gone through almost that same path. Like even the crawdads, like I was, I was catching crawdads <laughs> in, in the, the back drain ditch, you know, thing. Uh, that it ran into the freeway. Frogs. It was like anywhere where there's like new developed, you know, like our, the city that I was in or the town, it constantly had so many new like land developments because it was just expanding houses. So anytime somebody would like start building on the land, all the wildlife from there would get forced into another area. And you would just go there and just like hang out with the crawdads and the frogs and the tadpoles and the turtles and like, yeah. you know, and the mice. So. And even like the comic strip thing, like, I remember like my parents would like hoard the newspaper until it got to be like three foot tall stack of newspaper and right. then take it to the recycling thing or whatever. And so there was always a plethora of, of different comic strip things uh, right. that were around. That I did the same thing, man. I used to draw every single one of them. And yeah, I've said it already that, that I thought that that's what I was going to do before right. I realized that there was an art world or other things that you could do. Like, I was like, well, I'll probably just illustrate Sunday comics. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, but, but you know, and, and when you think about it, I mean, it shows our age, I guess. But like, there wasn't a way to get a screenshot from a cartoon or there wasn't a way to get, you know, any other visual like thing that you can sit there and look at except for the comics, you know. So that was that was cool, I think, you know, and I, I do agree. I think that it's. A definitely a generational thing but it's 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 a cool one I think. yeah so I, I guess you're going into san francisco at at 16 or 17 and being already noticing the the work that was being done out there i mean that was a, a pretty influential time in i guess the sort of art scene that we run in yeah um, that was a really really early 90s and like that was uh well i think that what it was was up until that point like I wanted, I knew that I had wanted to do something with either animation, something with comic books, something with, you know, creating, like I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted, I wanted to fit myself somewhere in this realm of everything that I enjoyed because that's all that I, I didn't know that there was anything beyond that, you know, like I didn't. And so going out into San Francisco and see, like at that time it was impossible to avoid, like you get off a train 
and boom, there's like huge artwork right in front of your face, you know? And, and so, you know, at the time, like giant was still doing studio, we started, started doing stuff and twist was doing stuff and the whole THR career, all that stuff. Like it was just everywhere. And so like, you couldn't not, have, not avoid it in, in going back home and you're like, why isn't that everywhere? Like, that's so cool that you see this, like, why isn't it everywhere? Like, you know, and so then it just starts getting you kind of like, at least at the time it was like, I wanted to bring that to like this little small town, but it was kind of impossible at the time, but you know, there's no access to anything, but you still do what you can. So that got me really into, I guess that segued me into at least wanting to explore graffiti because I didn't, I had no idea that it was even like that actually an art based culture, you know, before that. And, you know, I, again, I sort of ran that same way. Like I had a kid who was involved in the graffiti culture somehow. And I live, you know, I live in the East County portion of San Diego, which is like 25, 30 minutes east of the coastline. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels like people who live in like center city, San Diego are like, oh, you're, you live in like the Hicksville part of San Diego. You know, it's like the frowned upon, like, like all the, the, uh, sort of lower class sort of uh stereotypes always get pushed sort of eastward (laughs) and so this kid would bring in these magazines and a lot of it was san francisco graffiti so i i i I was recognizing hey these people are doing similar things to what i'm doing because all that character based stuff which i had been drawing like weird fucked up characters since i was as long as i could remember you know and I seen this and was like, holy shit, there, it, it opened my my mind up to understand that there was some other wider culture. And mm-hmm. I was involved in skateboarding and stuff, so I was seeing skateboard graphics and t-shirt graphics and things right. too. But it was that same thing. It was like, I wanted to, as soon as I started seeing these things, I wanted to bring it back to my little small community. Mm-hmm. And around that time, you know, for me, it was like just out of high school. Downtown San Diego was actually a pretty thriving, became like a pretty thriving art scene. Um, Shepard Ferry and Dave Kinsey were down there. And there was a lot of street work, like a lot of graffiti was going on. And downtown was kind of wild at the time. Like it's really, really cleaned up now. Um, But it was a little like sketchy. Like you had to watch your back, like junkies and those sorts of things. And people don't think about that when they think of San Diego. It's like gas lamp quarter, like Mm -hmm. fancy restaurants and shops and shit. Like the convention center. Yeah. (laughs) But it used to be kind of rough. And at that time, the the art scene was amazing. And so once I saw, I was the same way. Like I I got involved in the scene and saw these things happening and tried to spread it like a virus out into like the people that I've grown up with and known. And I... I feel like it sort of worked, but then it sort of didn't. I mean, it work. can only work to a degree, though. You know, I mean, there's only there's there's nothing there. I mean, luckily, I guess you know, going back to what you're saying about being involved with like skateboard graphics and stuff, I think that's what appealed to me so much about that type of like character slash letter based stuff that was coming out at that time was that with Garbage Bell Kids, also that was around the time of the Santa Cruz graphics and you know, like Jim Phillips and stuff and all, all that stuff tied into that specific time in my life, but then it kind of disappeared for a little bit. And I was into comic books and there wasn't a lot of that around. But then when I discovered this graffiti stuff that was all influenced by the same stuff that I was popping up, it was like, okay, that's rad. Like, you know, once it, once you realize these creative outlets all sort of work in the same, in the same way, maybe we, uh, we get inspired to be able to take and run that path. Cause yeah. you know, I, it took me until I was 20 
about to realize that I could actually make a living and and just do art full time. Wait, that works? I'm, I think so. <laughs> I I'm I am I'm currently alive, yeah, not yeah. starving, with a roof over my head. So until until those things aren't working. Yeah, l- lucky. I I think that coming from from that kind of like, you know, you know, I have a hard time with like marketing myself or promoting myself as ever really be not not being a graffiti artist because like I was I was in that culture for 10 years like that's all I wanted to do at the time you know whatever but like because like I I almost feel like I don't deserve to call myself that because I I kind of segued out of it once I started getting more business stuff and and taking on my business that like I don't I don't feel obviously that like I deserve to be lumped in with all these people that are doing this like amazing stuff and continuing the culture that like I don't talk about it a lot but at the same time those 10 years that like you know basically like going to San Francisco and seeing that and then being like okay I never even realized this exists fuck everything else this is what I want to do and then like you know made friends with like the three other people in my town that did it and then we all moved out to San Francisco and tried to do it there and you know mixed it around and, and met people in San Rafael and met other people and during those times are I learned everything that I still apply because it comes from it's such a DIY thing like every single thing is DIY and so having that aspect and that appreciation of just like the build and destroy, create things that aren't going to be there, do everything for free. You never get compensated. There's no personal fame. There's no pictures being shown of your face. There's no nothing. It's all anonymous. Like all of that stuff, like I think allows me to this day to never have any kind of expectation of getting compensated for art and just doing it for art's sake. And therefore I'll always be able to live off of nothing. You right, know? right. Which is like, I you, I tell people all the time that I'm beyond wealthy because yeah. because it's the processes that we go through each day in the work that that provides us with a personal wealth that is something beyond capitalism and, and dollar amounts and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that everything that happens afterwards, even if I sell a painting for a dollar, that's a dollar profit. That I've made. Yeah, totally. I've already. I'm already in the the green or whatever. You know, it's yeah. already profit. No matter what happens afterwards. Yeah. Obviously, I want to sell it for more than a dollar because my landlord won't take a dollar for rent. But... <laughs> yeah, you just gotta sell. You know, a thousand of them. You're good. Speaking of capitalism, um, when did you start doing zero friends? Um, zero friends started about 2007, I believe, and that was the first. I'd say official business venture that I went into. Um, prior to that, let's say about, you don't mind if I backtrack a little bit, right? No, 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 do you think? Okay. About 19, about mid nineties, late nineties, about 1996, 97, um, I was kind of transitioning from graffiti, more graffiti into, I'd say more like a, also juggling self-publishing. I, I always had a love for comic books, but I was never good at sequential storytelling. I never really wanted to tell like superhero stories too much, I, I, but I liked that format so much that I started, uh, I discovered zines around the same time that I discovered graffiti because in San Francisco, there was also a big zine culture. So I started my own publishing company around 97. And um, from then 
I just put out, you know, I'd, I'd go to Kinko's and steal copies and do all these little free zines and pass them out, not even with my name on it and making up fake names and giving them to, you know, putting them out at the colleges and whatever. And uh, I did that. Then to promote that, I kind of got into like doing my own t-shirts and I got a job at a t-shirt company where I could just like go in in the middle of the night and steal shit there and, and, and make my own shirts there to promote the publishing company. And, and then it kind of like, I needed a website to promote the t-shirts, to promote the company. And I did all that like by myself and there was never a focus on anything. It was always just kind of like, I thought I needed an official publishing company to put out a zine when I didn't. So therefore I made up a publishing company with no focus. Uh-huh. And so everything started falling under this umbrella, but nothing was organized. I was always lagging on stuff. Like I never had a d- right direction. I never had anybody who was helping me, whatever. So flash forward about six, seven years, it just got too much for me to do on my own. And I basically stopped doing anything because I, I got more focused on commercial work and more trying to do gallery stuff and, and it just put the business stuff to the side. But then simultaneously, I had no outlet to sell my stuff because basically like I've never been the kind of person that can like just walk up to a company and be like, Hey, here's my art. You should sell it. It's awesome. You know, put it on your clothing, put it on this, whatever. Like I I had gotten rejection letters after rejection letters when I was younger for trying to submit stuff to conflict companies. And I just never wanted to go through that again. So I always wanted my own personal outlet to do it. I don't like the idea of editors. I didn't like the idea of like people art directing. I mean, this is at the time I've obviously grown since then, but like, so I missed having that outlet of doing it. And then an opportunity came up in about 2006 when I was, I was still art directing a band called the used and I was living with them down in, in LA. And, um, they, we, there was probably like a, a big group of us that all lived together, including some of their friends who were creative and they had other musicians and other videographers and other artists. And they had a small group of, it was more of like a video based creative collective called zero friends out in Utah in Salt Lake city. And that was pretty fresh and new. And it was just like a bunch of creative dudes that were just making videos and having fun. And at the time we kind of were hanging out a lot and kind of joined forces as on like the creative end but I was kind of looking for a new outlet to kind of like sell my stuff to, but like rebrand it from my old company. And then they were also looking into moving out here and kind of doing the same thing with this collective. So we just decided to kind of like, you know, I had all this business experience under my, under my wing from all the personal stuff that I did. And then they had this group of people that were all willing to work and sacrifice and, and do stuff for this, the sole purpose of just being able to be creative and, and make a little bit of a living. So we kind of like just decided in 2006 or so to like move them all out here in early 2007 and just like for the first time officially start a company and, and, and take, you know, we have, we had like, by then we had like, you know, 10 years worth of my art that we don't need to have pay any licensing for or anything. It's just like, cool. We can just like, we have all this art now let's figure out how to sell it, you know? And so that was about when it started was about 2007. We all just kind of like officially like sat down and we're like, all right, let's all gather our couple hundred dollars together and let's just do this for reals and not get paid for the first year and, and <laughs> see if, if we can live. And, and, and we did cause you know, we all kind of agreed and sacrificed. So it was cool. This I know at least this summer you did some pop-up store things in San Francisco and Los Angeles and did a bunch of cool uh, cool events. How um 
do you find that it's it's easier to do those things? It uh, like have the pop up shop as opposed to like a legitimate like one spot store that becomes like the to go. Like it almost feels more um, artistic, or even well, more do it yourself to do that pop up shop. Like it, the the, the pop up stores is a direct a, a direct way to kind of battle the economy, the existing economy that's going on. It's kind of like figuring out that like okay, realizing that the economy that we're in is going to be most likely too difficult. Like, I mean, even now with everybody freaking out, nobody wants to rent out a retail space for less than three years, you know? And so therefore, who knows where our business is going to be in three years? Almost every single small business is failing. Like, okay, we're not in the position to make that commitment. However, let's use that to our advantage and let's then approach these other people with like, okay, find places where like, nobody's renting out your spot, but we'll do it for this amount of time. Like basically what it is, is, is a way to, to, to realize that we don't have the staff to create like a whole new pop-up store. We don't have the capital to do that, but like gypsies, we can, our main, our main goal is to sell stuff online, like direct sales or what, like we get paid for the most. Like, it's like, you know, there's no, overhead for running a store. It's just like we ship everything out and we work all on that. So if we could, our idea was to go to bigger markets where we're not necessarily like, I've never had an art show in New York. So we wanted to go to New York, introduce my art, introduce the brand of Zero Friends, and then therefore guide them to the website. And then we can take off like gypsies and do that again in another place. What is the website real quick? It's just zerofriends.com. Z-E-R-O-F-R-I-E-N-D-S.com. Yeah, I mean, and it basically was just like, you know, we're not going it, to, it's it's kind of a co-branded effort, I guess, because what we would do is we would find people that, for instance, not necessarily were in trouble, but could help with getting rent shared for a few months. So we would take over people's leases of like, you know, if, if they were like, yeah, you know, you're a little bit slow here or whatever, like, and so we would work together with that company or that gallery or that space owner and we would pay rent for, you know, three months and therefore it would save them a little bit and we'd get a chance to introduce our brand. And so the, fir- the first two stores we did were with Upper Playground, like we did Upper Playground in New York and then we did Upper Playground in San Francisco. And then we worked with another gallery called Sella Gallery, who does a bunch of little satellite galleries in Hollywood. So those were like our first three. And then now we're kind of like we're looking into Oakland right now, but who knows where we're going to go. It's kind of like wherever the opportunity arises, you know. What's kind of cool about the, that type of project, too, is, is it also affords you an opportunity to go do some traveling and spend a little time right. in a city that maybe, you know, as artists, I talk a lot about how we do um, workations where mm-hmm. we go to we get to travel to a bunch of places, but we're typically working for, you know, a set number of days. And maybe we have one day to get around and try to yeah. be tourists for yeah, a I moment. Mean, the amount of I think the amount of places I, I didn't even start traveling. I didn't even take a plane ride until I was 24 and the the amount of things that I've been traveling since doing my own business stuff, I've been everywhere in the United States, but yet nowhere because every single place is so work oriented and so like in and out, like let's go there, we got to do this little art thing, and then we're out. So there's there's definitely like a positive and negatives. Like the positive for sure, you get to travel, you get to meet the local people that are there, you get to absorb a little bit of the culture, but the negative is that like you don't really get to like experience experience and like, you know, and, and stuff, but like, I guess like bands, like the next time you go, there's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. The next time you go, and at the same little... time, if you, you know, if you had decided, okay, I'm going to set up shop in Los Angeles, 
Right. You you know it's well it's going to that shop every day. You know obviously day, you wouldn't yeah. be going there, but it it, it would I, it would get dull after a while. Yeah. It wouldn't have that sort of uh, romanticism that it could have. Yeah, you it, know? It, gets, it keeps us excited as well. Yeah, each like, time it's like you know by the time the excitement wears off, and I mean you know granted like what we do is a, is a pretty small niche audience as well. So therefore, you know, three months, I think is a good amount of time to get as many people in the community involved and introduce it to people and get people excited. I mean, like we, we're not, we're not turning out new products every week. So therefore it's, you know, by that three months, probably everybody's pretty much experienced everything that we're going to do for the next couple of months. So let's go right. somewhere else and make new friends. Well, at the at the same time, you also did another project this, I, I guess it was this summer too, right? Or this last year that uh, you did a drawing for drawing tour? Yeah, that was at the, that was about March, through March and April of this, of 2010. Um, and that was really, that was, that was exactly what it needed to be. I was at kind of a little bit of a low point, both personally and a little blocked. And I knew I had some stuff coming up. I, I, I hadn't, I had a, uh, I had an upcoming art show at Corey Helford that I didn't had no idea what I was going to do for. So I was kind of like needed a little bit of inspiration for myself and I was a little bit burnt out. And so uh, my friend Dave Korea and I, and then my filmmaker friend, Stephen Reedy, we came up with this idea of, of just kind of like looking, just basically taking an excuse to get away and drive across country and like, just see if we can get inspired. Like we've never really done that before. Like I, I flown to New York and I've met some people over there, but what about all the places in between where like, I'll never have an art show in Boise, Ohio, you know, Boise, Idaho, or I'll never have an art show in, in Buffalo, New York, or <laughs> Utah. Like, so some of the places we, we wanted to draw and kind of like, I don't know, just like drive and, and just meet, see if there's any fans of ours in the middle that, that like, there's so many up and coming artists and just artists that literally don't have the means to get out of their small town, you know? And like, probably like, some people still have dial up internet. They can't even build a website. They can't even get a Twitter account. Like, you know, it's like, it's kind of sad that there's, there's that many things that are like unexposed. So we just kind of wanted to go searching and, and meanwhile, meet these people that possibly we inspire, but then could in return inspire us to get like, keep going and, and push us. And so we came up with this idea of like, just driving around and like trying to encourage people in communities where art might not be as accepted that we want you to draw for us and we'll draw for you. And like, you know, it's like that even, 16 year old again, huh? Trying to make things yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It, it, and it was just like, literally like such like a thing we put it together in a week and like, we're just like, let's just do it. Like who needs anything? And we didn't think that anybody was going to really show up. We thought that we would just like Twitter. Hey, we're out of Denny's in Salt Lake. You want to come by and say hi by the, the very first day was the first stop was in Sacramento. I live about an hour and a half outside of Sacramento. And we, uh, the very first day was Sacramento and we had a six hour line wow. and it was insane. And so from that moment on, it just like, it pushed our schedule. Like then we were just rushing. Like then we were just like, damn, we had no idea we were going to stay here longer than 10 minutes. Like now we're, our schedule is totally fucked. So yeah. then we're just running from space to space. And like, each place it was insane i mean like places like i think buffalo was one of the big ones that like people buffalo's in the middle of nowhere and people drove like four hours just to get there and you know we had like this five-hour line and it was just it was incredible and all these kids were just like brought these elaborate drawings and i was like dude we can't accept this like 
I just wanted you to sketch me something. And like, all I'm giving you is like a birthday cake with a smiley face. Like I'm trying, you know, like, come on, don't give me this. And they're like, no, we want to like, what you guys are doing is really cool. Like no, no artists ever come here. We don't even have an art gallery. And like, and it was really cool to hear that. Cause like, that's kind of what we wanted to do, you know? Yeah. That's so, awesome. Well, I got two questions specifically about sort of two of those topics. Sure. So, um, from the, the listener emails that got sent in, cool. um, JW Caldwell wanted to know uh, what happened. What did you guys do with all the drawings and sketches that you collected along the way? Uh, well, in a in a very uh, traditional create and destroy thing, we burned them. Fantastic. Uh, you know that you got to deal with that sometimes. Like you know, you give somebody art and they burn. No, um, basically what our intentions were because we only thought we were going to get like fifty. That like. I was like, oh, we'll make like a little book or we'll put them online and we'll make a little Tumblr out of them or whatever and like show people so they can share it. But we got over 2,000 drawings. Oh my Lord, that's awesome. And so it was it was amazing. So I still have them and we're trying to figure out really what to do with them. The, I mean, and, and most of them aren't even scannable sizes. They're like, you know, people were giving us things that were like, you know, four feet big. And it's just like, we, we were shipping stuff. home. we didn't even have any room after the second stop, even our car for anything. So we were constantly shipping things home. Uh, what I think we're going to do though, is we've been kind of trying to put together a little zero friends DVD that has some footage from the tour, some footage from short films that we've done and everything. And we wanted to include like a slideshow on the DVD of just all the drawings that we got from there. So that, that, I think that's kind of be the best way, like, so that you can just like click through and watch it on your TV. Yeah. Cause there's really, there's really no other thing that we can really figure out to do because there's literally so many and it's, it's amazing. But like, I want to be able to showcase all of them eventually. So another question, which comes from Tyler Rubio, which sort of goes along with that thing, which is the amazement of um, Twitter. He wants to know how you got such a, a huge rock star following. You got you got a shit ton of Twitter followers, right? Yeah, which I well, he, knew, I he wants to know the formula, and I'm gonna listen too. All right, the, um, <laughs> the formula is a. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, the, no, I think the Twitter thing. You know, I think that it's just a matter of. I've been a proponent of any social networking and internet stuff since the mid nineties, because like, that's like, I was never confident in my face to face interaction with people or promoting my work to people's faces. So when I discovered the internet and that you can make a GeoCities website and like tell people about it, like you can be a lot more, you can let the work speak for itself and be a lot more confident through the internet. And so, you know, it definitely takes a little bit of work. You put up a website, then you have to go to like find forums and then you have to go message board bomb those forums. And then you have to like tell people that you're awesome. And it's weird at first, but like it worked a little bit back then, you know, and it, that was like shit that you had to pay for. And then now it's like with, with MySpace and Facebook and Twitter, like you have all these free opportunities to create websites that are already made for you. You just plug in your art and go tell people about them. Like, you know, when Twitter came out, I think that the reason why I have so many followers on Twitter is because I've had a Twitter account for like five years. You, I, I didn't really use it the first year, but I had it. And like, you know, like, and then I used it so that I could like, I, I would like do like live Twittering from like Comic-Con in 2007, you know, like, mm -hmm. and like, and it's like, I, and it doesn't seem like Twitter has been around that long, but it has. I've only been using it for like a year, dude. 
And I feel pretty, I feel pretty up on the social media. Like I'm pretty, I'm, I'm handy with the tools. You know what I, I mean? Think I, I think actually I could be wrong with saying 2007. I, it might have been 2008, but it's still. I mean, it's three, three or four years. And and like, and so by the time Twitter kind of like became like this big thing last year, or maybe a little bit over a year ago. I already had like, you know, 4,000 followers just from no, from, from people just looking up art on Twitter because there wasn't that many, yeah, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So like, and then it's just, it's, it's like anything. It's like any kind of like people like content, like there's a direct correlation with my business, like zero friends, like whether I'm talking about zero friends on Twitter or not, if I don't Twitter, we, our business goes down. It's weird. Like I can talk about Miley Cyrus for a week and zero friends gets up in business and you know it's it's the it's it's really bizarre but it's it's a discipline most of my day i'd say there's a good 50 percent of my day is spent doing any kind of social networking stuff and 50 percent doing creative stuff like and, and it's and nobody wants to hear that because it's not fun like yeah. it's not that cool to be like Oh, I can't go to the movies because I have to HTML code this fucking image tag like to blog it. Like, you know, like, no, I'm not going to go to the bar with you guys because I have to answer fucking fan mail or like, you know, like put up. I have to do a, a MailChimp newsletter, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, like whatever, like like that's boring. But it's if you don't do it, then there's you're not taking full advantage of of everything that's available, you know. Yeah. And and so it's it is it's, it's working your fucking ass off at that and it's being patient like like nowadays especially the internet is so oversaturated with with everything that it's it is becoming harder and harder to stand out but it's not impossible to if you just stick with it because the the people that are looking at it as like a Oh well, I just drew this one picture, and I think it's rad. Why aren't anybody? Why is nobody reblogging or anything? It's like, well, try it again, and then maybe it'll resonate with somebody else. And then try if that doesn't work. Try it again, you know, and like, and then maybe somebody didn't hear. It. So re maybe retry the first one and keep doing it. And like, eventually, people and that takes passion, and passion is what stands out amongst anything else. So like, there's no direct reward from like spending time on the internet. But if you're passionate about it and you believe in it, eventually it will stand out. And it's just like, you know, it could be a couple of years. It could be three years. It could be one year. It could be a week if you hit on something cool. But like we were talking about before, it doesn't take that much to stay alive. There's no rush, you know? Yeah, totally. And if it's if it's really something that you're interested in doing, you're going to put that time in regardless of what happens. Yeah. You know, unless you're so devastated by rejection that you just can't. Yeah, keep well, doing the, it, but you if 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 you're not prepared for that, it's probably not the right business. Well, and the, and the other thing is that like I get I didn't even I, I guess the, the the thing passion is such an important role I think that takes in in any kind of art form, but I didn't even really realize the amount of stuff that I was sacrificing to get anything you know to get jobs or to get things known or to just to do art because like that was art was the thing that took my mind off of everything. And it was the thing that I didn't care if it was rewarding or not. I just felt like this need, like I had to do it. And looking back on it, you know, I, I, I never, I did that. I, you know, I never really had those like crazy college days. I never got married. I never like, you know, basically up until now, never even really had like a, a, a solid inspiring relationship, you know, like, like things are like, there is a lot of sacrifice and, 
when I talk to people about that now in hindsight, nobody wants to hear that, you uh-huh. know, they're yeah. like, because, and I can imagine like a 17 year old talking to somebody and being like, so what do I have to do to like get, get good at my art? And it's like, in, when it boils down to it, it's like, well, you know, you might not be able to like have a social life too much. You might not be able to like have a girlfriend for a while. You might have to be broke for 10 years. You might have to like go sell paintings that are out of the back of a truck in somewhere or, or figure out somewhere to do it. You might, you know, and like, everyone's like, Oh, that's stupid. Can I just like walk into kid robot and sell my painting? And you're like, you can try, yeah. but like, you know, I, I'm whatever. And, and it is kind of like, I, I try not to be like discouraging because it's, that's not like, there's no reason to be discouraging, but in hindsight, that's kind of like what it is, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, for me, I was lucky enough to, to find a woman who was supportive of me that 10 years ago, you know, that was like, okay, you, you obviously need to do this thing. I'm going to support you in, in any way. And it's like, it's that thing that we were talking about before about like, it's not that hard to survive. Uh, If you really want to do something with your life, you're going to find a way to do it hook, line, or sinker, you know, right. whatever that terminology actually means. I don't know. It even <laughs> applies. But, uh, you know, you, one way or the other, if this is really the path that you've chosen for yourself, you're going to figure out a way to do it, whether you're, you know, living in the park under a tree or, you know, living in some fat mansion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, is that, I think that, that, that that philosophy applies to every aspect of anything creative, you know, whether it's music or whether it's, you know, filmmaking or whether it's just photography or anything, you know, like, and I've found that in, in without trying to kiss creative people's asses too much, that that's sort of, there's a type of mindset that comes from people who are interested in doing their own thing and carving their own path and do creative things that they, there's either, it's either a, a naivete or uh, or being really brave. I'm not sure which. It's either being stupid or really brave. I mean, I don't know exactly which one it is yet. And it might be an equal mixture of both. But yeah, there's I, something I, that I, that creative types possess. Yeah. And, well, I think that that, that the uh, I think that there's definitely a mixture of, of of both of those. But I think that it's an unquestionable drive when you are genuinely that. But like, if you're if you're really asking like what you like if it sounds like a task from before you even start it then obviously you want to start it for different reasons you know like if you're like if you're like okay i really want to be an artist but sounds like it's a lot of work so what exactly do i need to give up and what exactly do i need to do i want to know now because i don't want to waste my time it's like all right you should not waste your time yeah for yeah and you know in Again, with creative types, uh, there's a lot of us. Uh, I know there's a lot of different types of artists, but there's a lot of us who come, who are like stripper mentality, like have <laughs> kind of a rough beginning, and have found a sort of outlet in in creative um, avenues to sort of relax our minds and and get to like a peaceful, calm state. I know for me. If, if I didn't have um, art in my life, I would be an absolute monster to be around. It would not, I would, I would be aggravated and, and aggressive and probably violent. 
And sometimes, like, I, I almost feel sorry for people who don't have that outlet. And I it makes me understand why people are so quick to go to McDonald's and watch six hours of real, reality television and, you know... Which I also do. Uh, I do, too. <laughs> well, sort of, you know, I listen. But, I see, I'm always working. I never stop working, so it's like, you know, I'm never really watching that shit, but... Yeah. I mean, you talks. know, and, and I, I think that part of me feels feels bad, but the, I, I think the only part of me that feels bad is if somebody seems uncontent. I mean, there's just as many people that are content with 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 work. It like needs some kind of order in their life and need to go to a nine to five to feel that completeness and feel some stuff. You know, that like there's there's there are genuine. I mean, those are probably the people that had normal childhoods, right? Well, you know, <laughs> it, well I, I don't know because I I had. I would like to think that I had a very normal childhood. I mean, like there was one of the, one of the things that we can get into right now is that like I, up until I was 14 or 15 years old, like I, both of my parents were always together that, you know, my parents were divorced. I never was abused. I lived in a nice house. I lived, I went to public schools, like, I mean, public schools are shit, but like I had like a couple friends, like, you know, like I, I, there was no, any kind of like dark time up until that point. And then when I was 14, all of a sudden for no apparent reason, I just couldn't go to school. Like I was just, I was deathly afraid. I thought that I was going to kill myself. I thought that I was going to die. I, if I went to school, I would hyperventilate. I would make excuses to get out of school. Like I just, I felt I alienated myself from everybody. My parents didn't know what to do with me. I was like ditching out on things. I just like, I threatened to kill me. I, you know, I, I, I was sad. And then, my anxiousness turned into depression and then nobody knew what was wrong with me. Then, then like my parents took me to psychiatrists and then they were trying to pinpoint my parents, but my parents never really, there was no bad childhood, anything. So like nobody knew what to do with me just to kind of as a last resort to keep me on medication at the time it was before Prozac and before these like miracle drugs, I got put in, in a mental institution for or mental. I, I, it was just like a, a hospital. It wasn't like an insane asylum, but like yeah. I got put in a, men, in, in a mental hospital for, for a little while while they were trying to regulate some drugs. And, and all this was when I was 14 and I was like going through puberty and I was very like, my hormones were crazy and I didn't know how I was feeling. And that's where I did discover you know like i tried to read i tried to watch movies i tried to play sports i tried to have friends but like none of that made me feel anything other than like pure terror except when i did re-pick up a, a pencil and pen and, and, and draw and stuff and so that whether it was like an epiphany or not like the physical act of touching a pen to a paper while that was drawing i wasn't thinking about being sick mm -hmm. and that's so i was like all right cool i know this correlation from now on I'm going to keep doing this and I won't be sick. And, and that's, that, that's that thing that I'm talking about. It's like there's uh, something I, – I say it all the time that art is, is a meditation. Right. Um, and, and meditation is that, is that moment where you could let go of fears and anxieties and um, our overworked mind thinking too much and allow that thing to calm down and, and be quiet. I wanted to ask you at that moment in time. I know we've had a lot. We've had a, a number of discussions about uh, sleep patterns. Did you find that your your sleep patterns changed at, at around that same time? Did you have uh, trouble sleeping? It's uh, I've I've had trouble sleeping as long as I can remember. It's really hard to kind of pinpoint or, or that whole time is a little bit fuzzy as far as like specifics of things because 
there's a big part of me that has a hard time kind of like remembering what I was like, that was so impactful mentally and, and, and health wise that like, I have a hard time imagining anything other than which, that, you know, which that but, actually is, is sort of where I kind of wanted to go with this is, um, I've done a lot of studying about, uh, states of mind and particularly, um, like dream states and what happens when we sleep mm -hmm. and the processes that take place during sleep and its effects on our, our waking mental health. Mm -hmm. And what I came to learn was that when, when we don't get the proper sleep, our brains will begin to dream on their own. And what a lot of people don't understand is our dreams are a very hallucinatory experience. And it's actually a, something biologically that we need. There's almost, it's, it's almost as if it's like a therapy session. Right. And I think we get those same things from making art because we, be, we shut down and all of a sudden become much more introspective and can uh, and sort of go over ourselves, like who we are as a person and, and what we do around us. And sort of it, it gives a, it sheds a light on who we are. Now, of course, dreams are weird as shit and they, they seemingly don't make sense, particularly right. even nightmares. And what I came to learn was that, like, a lot of people who suffered from, say, schizophrenia or these, like, severe mental disorders that we, that, like, normal society would be like, that guy's crazy, is oftentimes our dreams are, is, is our brains going into a dream state while awake. Right. And, you know, we see that even with, 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 uh, with methamphetamine addicts or, or cocaine addicts, like Charlie Sheen probably hasn't been asleep in a, in a week. Um, but I think I think he has a lot of other things going on. I'm not going to bag on Charlie well, Sheen too. Hard. He's winning though. So he is definitely good. winning. Rock star from Mars. Warlock, <laughs> Tiger so Blood. But um, what I came to understand was that that a lot of times these people who we deem as crazy are actually just having waking nightmares. And which, if you think about it, when when we have dreams at night, there's something that happens in that dream process, which we find in certain hallucinatory states as well, is that when you come out of them, you don't remember. It's that thing like you can't quite, it's like you know it's kind of there, you know what happened, but you can't quite figure out what it is. Seemed like really real, like those dreams when your girlfriend cheats on you and you want to wake up and just grab her by the throat, you know? Right, and it's right. like that didn't really happen, but there's this sense of like feels really real now imagine that happening to somebody who's wide awake who's conscious and and visualizing all these things like actually having a, a nightmare with visuals in the same way that you would if you were asleep except it feels perfectly real in this waking reality and i think a lot of times we just be based on our society uh structures or how we we perceive people um based on just external things as opposed to really understanding what somebody's going through we just say oh crazy and then we see like drug use with these people and we don't understand or a lot of times from the perception of the viewer it's like oh they're just a drug addict and the drugs are making them crazy and they're right. being wild and and they don't quite understand that what what these people who are suffering from these things are are masking the emotions that that come along with these ups and downs of of these types of of mental states and it's really a shame like that we that it's like oh you go to the mental institution and it will say like that that's like 
you know, there's a whole set of like connotations that automatically oh, yeah. come up yeah. for someone's mind, right? Well, that, I think that's why I kind of like what I'm noticing now too is that I that's come up in a lot of interviews lately because you know it, I it, it was a impactful time in my life and it is kind of the pinpoint thing of like what I when I realized that I wanted to do art for a living, but a lot of things get edited down and and. And it's just they, they put the two words together in, in mental hospital or yeah. mental asylum. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, like, I, you know, I, I have things on my Facebook page. It's like, holy shit, Alex was in an insane asylum for 15 years. And look at him now. It's like, dude, you're like, what are you getting? Like, this is insane. You know, whatever. Like, Which, like if you saw somebody just go into the therapist's office and right. sit down with a doctor, it wouldn't be it would be like, oh, that's kind of like a normal thing that people do. Yeah. But you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. if you put yeah. a certain phrase to it, it has yeah. like. Kind of weird connotation. Well, going going back to what you were saying about the, the whole waking nightmare thing, based on you know emotions and insomnia and stuff. Uh, th- have you seen The Machinist? I haven't, dude. The Machinist is it's it's an it entire movie about not sleeping because of guilt and living in a waking nightmare, and it's it's really really good. I think that you'd enjoy that. It's yeah, I'll awesome. check it out. I've uh, I went on a big fix last year about trying to understand the mind, mm-hmm. which is. <laughs> which is funny you know <laughs> look what's telling me that and uh it just opened up a whole new world of like sort of understanding or even just a little bit different level of compassion for people who maybe i i would have had that same thing like oh you're crazy person so that's like i see charlie sheen and go like i can hear certain things that he says and certain like tones of voice uh-huh. that that i've heard before from right. people close to me who I've seen these things happen to and can uh, and have you know and that was probably a key to me trying to understand it was seeing these things happen to people in my life personally so it's right. like you know I wanted to I wanted to come to a, a a more compassionate place where I could relate as opposed to just judge right right but it's hard if you, if you don't take that time to to look into it you know um, I have, uh, let's, uh, let's talk, we have, I don't think we've even, I mean, we've sort of touched on your art, but mostly like the, the selling of things on, of other art. You're, I, I came to find your work through your paintings, which I've followed for a while. Um, when did you start getting into painting specifically? Painting, actually painting kind of started coming around, I'd say the early 2000, 2001, around that time. And it was just, I think everything that I do is kind of a natural progression without any kind of intention on doing anything, you know? I, I I was into graffiti and then I was into comic books and so I wanted to do comic books and I did that, but then it was like, well, I, comic books were black and white, but I wanted to do some t-shirts, so I had to figure out how to do some color stuff. And then it was like, all right, well, the color stuff, like, you know, some of my friends were doing art shows and it's like, well, maybe I'll try to paint. Like, it just like, I, I have a hard time staying dedicated to one thing because there's so especially when i'm discovering art like there's so much even now like that i've never even touched on that like i might want to do you know Mm -hmm. um i think around around 2000 or so maybe even 99 yeah about 99 or so uh i was uh i was good friends with dave cho and he i had met him through these independent zine fests because he had done zines as well and so we were we were little zine buddies and he had had got a couple shows at you know upper playground when they first started and a place in in san jose called ad and then this other salon in, in san jose and so he had kind of like encouraged me to get a little bit more into painting as well and just kind of like being inspired by people's reactions to his stuff which was like at the time 
oh, there's a zine guy that does kind of graffiti. And then like, it's being accepted by these people as art. So that's inspiring, you know? So then I would, I would mess around with some watercolors or mess around with some stuff, but I, I never had the confidence. I never had the confidence in dedicating myself to one thing and excelling at it because I was afraid of not, I, I don't think that I was afraid of failing at it. I think I was just like, I didn't know what I really wanted to do because I could appreciate all these different types of art. And every time I would see a new piece of art, I'm like, I wish I did that. I'm going to figure out how to do that. I want to do that. And then I'd be like, start doing it and going, okay, well, meanwhile, I just saw this other thing. Like, I want to do this other thing. Like, you know, so I, I don't, you know, it's just kind of a natural progression. You know what happens sometimes that I've noticed among, in fact, among creative types and even among my, you know, personally, that sometimes we, uh, it's not so much the fear. The fear of failure is always there, but right. the fear of success is almost equally as scary. Um, I think so too. Because yeah. you're putting yourself out there. If you if you succeed and and start showing your your stuff and people like it, it it gets it gets to a broader audience. And then so you the have Dave Chappelle syndrome, right? And you have to you have to get that broader audience to also like you. But if you open yourself up to a broader audience, you also open yourself up to those people who are right, going to think you're a phony yeah. or failure or whatever. Yeah. No, so sometimes we'll throw roadblocks in front of ourselves subconsciously to uh, sort of sidetrack ourselves so that. To either avoid failure and or avoid success, right? Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Do you want to? Uh, I I often talk about how my paintings are the same painting over and over again because it's just a process I like to go through. That each one just turns out looking a little bit different. Uh -huh. um, do you want to talk a little bit? I know some people who listen to the show like to hear artists. Um, process that they go through in like from a sort of uh maybe like a synopsis of start to finish like what happens in the process sure yeah I mean, well I, you know i guess it depends on my process depends on a lot of different things it depends on my time frame my emotional status at the time like what i'm getting out of the painting what my intentions are like i, I like to there's certain forms of artwork that I use for more therapeutical reasons, which is like, you know, some loose watercolor stuff is, is a lot more just like fun. Like some of the pop culture stuff that I do is just fun. You know, I'm, I'm jumping out of this interview and I'm doing a Charlie Sheen drawing as soon as I'm done. Nice. So. <laughs> I, I saw the Garfield piece recently too, that you did with the ripped off Garfield face. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so that, that stuff is like a lot more like therapeutical and less like involved, but genuine, generally, up until recently with this last art show that I did, my process was very similar and I just changed it up for this art show. Up until then, for you know, for as long as I can remember, I've never quite been able to picture something in my head and draw it, as I'm sure every artist can. You know, like we all have better, more elaborate, imaginative drawings in us and, and our hands can't quite do that. And, and I think that the moment my hand could do that, I wouldn't even want to do it. I'd want to imagine more that I can't do, you yeah. know? So it's not something that I'm looking forward to accomplishing. It's just, I'm never going to be able to get what I want. So if I imagine myself wanting to draw a football player, I probably couldn't draw a football player. Like I would need, it would take a lot of discipline. So instead I've always approached things in almost like a, uh, looking at clouds kind of thing where I'll aesthetically scribble out of shape or I'll scribble out things until my eye gets drawn to a certain scribble and I can use my imagination to make something out of that scribble. You know, it's like, 
I'll be drawing, you know, oh, that looks like a weird pumpkin head. Oh, maybe he's got a hand. Oh, no, that's stupid. All right, no. Oh, I know, it's a fish. Cool. You know, and then, like, I'll make a fish out of it, whatever. Right. And and so then up until, until recently, like, that's kind of how I approached everything. I would scribble for hours and find a shape that I like, and then I would, like, t- kind of create from that scribble. I would keep outlining it and making something cool and maybe adding an element to it and then then figuring out, how I wanted to paint it. If I wanted to just do it in black and white, if I wanted to do it with messy colors, if I wanted to do it like tight, then that would, the approach from there would be different. And in general, I'll scribble something, I'll tighten up the sketch. I have a uh, Wacom Cintiq tablet, which is like the one that you can draw on. Yeah. So I, I'll scan the little sketch in, I'll go into my, into Photoshop and I'll just kind of like retrace the, the drawing in Photoshop and kind of change it there a little bit if I want to. And then uh, depending on how it's output, if I'm doing a painting, I'll scale it up in Photoshop, print it out in a grid so that I it's to whatever size my canvas is, and then I'll transfer it. I'll tape it up to a painting and, or to a canvas and put transfer paper behind it and then retrace it on there so that the transfer paper pushes through. Then I have it on a canvas. And then, um, then it's just kind of like from there, I'll, I'll once again go into like the loose mode where like I... I'm not a tight technical painter. I don't know how to paint, but I know how to make a mess and draw on top of it and pretend <laughs> that it looks like I know how to paint. Yeah. And so the like trick I'm, works. <laughs> well, I'm, so I've, I've, I'm confident in like my ability to like use line work to bring shapes together, to make them create depth and, and create something what I intend them to be, but I'm not confident in my painting. So I, I use the painting part to, to have fun. And just like Can make I... a mess and see what happens. Like, what happens if I splash green on here and then put red on it? Oh, cool. I probably won't be able to do that again, but that's cool for this one. Like, whatever. Yeah. So it's I'm constantly learning still, because I've never gone to art school. I've never, you know, done anything, and 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 I I want to learn, but I I think that I'm I'm just learning by myself by doing it, and I'll pick up things. But then from then, then I'll go back and forth with like do some line work to tie it in, and then oh, I don't like that, or I want to change the color, and I'll scribble that out and eventually it's done you, know? you have uh you have really nice line work i wanted to ask you really quick um yeah. did you do the holy grail search for the most perfect ink for your paintings yes and no it was more brush than ink i segue between it kind of depends on what i'm paint. like i really like using japanese sumi ink for stuff because it's flat it's solid and it's really thin when it lays down uh-huh. so you can do really watery thin lines with it but that sumi ink doesn't necessarily go over it's not a opaque lot of enough paint because like acrylics have a sheen to them so it'll beat up on sheens or whatever so kind of depending on what i'm doing i i was so in love with that ink that that you knowing that i incorporate line work into a lot of my stuff and knowing that I liked that ink, that stopped me from using things like acrylic paints and stuff like that. So I was using shitty, cheap house paint with flat, you know, with the flat enamel mm-hmm. and then like, uh, or watercolors or inks or something. And because I was afraid to not be able to have that crutch as that ink that I found. Yeah. But then recently when I started using more, I was like, you know, I'm just going to see if I can figure it out. And, uh, now I'm able to use any kind of paints and then knowing what paints underneath it, knowing it'll be like, I, I take a, to do over acrylics. Now I'll use like, I'll take some speedball black India ink and then I'll cut it with like a little bit of uh, 
of carbon black liquid uh, acrylic, either golden acrylic or Nova acrylic, and it's the, the fluid acrylic, so they're a little bit thinned out. And then I'll mix it with a little bit of water and you mix it out, and that way that'll go over anything. I use the <clears throat> Windsor & Newton Black Spider ink, okay. which is opaque, not very shiny, and yeah. has uh, has less likelihood to come back to life if a little dot of water hits it. You oh, know how some inks do that? Um, and I'll do a half and half mixture with black gesso, with the oh, okay. with the Liquitex black gesso, which is okay. just as fluid as the as the um, the liquid okay. acrylics. But okay. you you get like three times as much for about the almost the same amount of money, and it's super super flat. So mixed huh. with the ink, it flattens out any of the sheen that's left from right. there. And because it's so strong as a as a uh, primer, it goes yeah. over anything. It, okay. The now, only it thing it usually it beads up. What's that? Does it? Th it thickens it up quite a bit, though, right? With the gesso, with the fifty-fifty. Well, not really, because the Liquitex black gesso. I mean, I, if I need to, I I add as much water to the brush and then okay. sort of dab it to get to the uh -huh. perfect consistency as I go. You know, uh -huh. it's right. it's real nice for being able to go over those acrylics that act like a dick like that. Spray yeah, paint. Yeah, yeah. It'll kind of still give you some issues yeah, a little pretty, bit. Yeah. It'll get you, but um, you could always hit that with like the medium or whatever. But um, I have a couple more questions from the the emails and stuff that I want to get to you since people took the time to send them in, and then I'll, I will oh. let you go. I think we covered most of my stuff. So, Adam Honky Kong Hathorn. Uh, hey, Adam. I, I really don't want to ask this question. Like it makes me feel kind of uncomfortable. But um, well, he you wanted me to. It out if you want. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gonna ask it anyway. I, I I try not to be uncomfortable anymore. He he seems to think that you you have funny poop shapes. Is there any validity to that? I don't know. I you know what's funny? I get <laughs> I I think that twittering about shit and stuff like that is something that I do subconsciously because I honestly don't think that I ever twitter about going to the bathroom a lot. But I get that like. I get this all the time, which is like, all you do is Twitter about shitting. And I'm like, really? Like, no, I don't. I don't think I do at all, but maybe I do. I don't know. I haven't but, picked um, it up at all. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But anyways, the, the funny poop thing, um, <laughs> shapes, maybe like, I don't know, would you consider Donald Duck like a weird shape or like normal? Uh, that might be pretty normal. Like a bill on it and a little hat. Um, With the little there's that, tag. There's, there's, the pre there's the pretzel, but that. Yeah, I mean, I have that's that, just I have talent. Thing, I have this thing on my ass that's kind of like this Play-Doh spaghetti like thing where you can oh, yeah. move it. I shift it around. It's like a belt, but I can shift it around, and there's a star shape on it, and there's spaghetti, and then there's like a heart shape, and then there's like, yeah, there's one that I call firecrackers that just sprays it everywhere. <laughs> Emery Kristen Skelton, who I think must be a relative of Red Skelton. Or Jack Skellington. No, yeah, you're right. Red Skellington yeah. is a... Is a... Uh, she wants to know if there's an application to be your best friend out there. Do you have that on your website? Um, yeah, it's called uh, it's called My Favorite Old Man. And you can you can download it, and then you can just, like, put my face on your best friend, and then we're best friends. That's awesome. Like the plate mask, you just cut the eyes out? <laughs> yeah. You should make, you should make one of those for... You should make one for Emery Kristen Skelton. You, Done. Uh, I'm calling up my app guy right now. 
Or maybe we can get Jeremy Fish on. I know you guys just did something with Aesop and uh, Kimya Dawson for a Dude, show. That was so rad. Yeah. Uh, Aesop is a good friend of all of, of both Jeremy and I. And Jeremy has worked with him a lot. And, and, and since he moved out to San Francisco, we've, we've become friends. And he, him and Kimmy Dawson, I don't know if you're familiar with her music, but she is... I am from the Moldy Peaches. Oh, dude, yes. So good. And, and she's an incredible human, amazing singer-songwriter, like beautiful, inspiring, the humanitarian, like one of the best humans that I've ever met in female form. And so, like, she's awesome. And so Aesop and her have been working on music together, which is the dynamic of them two together, like this folky, beautiful, inspiring music, and then Aesop's, like, futuristic, insane, like, ahead of his time lyrics and awesome delivery. Like, it's such a cool thing. Both Jeremy and I were like, we have to be involved somehow, you know? But, uh, so, like, you know, like, maybe a couple days before the show, they just asked us, like, hey, is there anything you guys could do to, like, spruce up our stage if we, you know, we have this big show at Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, and so we want to like have fun on the stage and we want to play with it. So is there anything you can think of? And, and Jeremy and myself and Robert Bowen just got a shit ton of like, we didn't know the stage layout. We didn't know what we would be restricted to. So we wanted something that was customizable. Like if we could fit it, cause they're going to have some projection stuff. So we just went and got like 50 cardboard boxes and painted faces on all of them. And so therefore if we needed to stack them in different orders, we could. And, uh, and then we went a step further in Aesop and it got these like, inflatable like uh, inflatable reindeer and inflatable like totem pole like so it, we made the stage look like this like big playpen and it was like super fun you know yeah then, i saw uh, a picture online it looked crazy it was great it was really really fun and then like you know we got to we all dressed up like jeremy dressed up like a pig and did this kazoo solo and then i dressed up as a wolf and i went out to try to attack the pig and a skunk sprayed me and like you know like we were doing all this like it was just a really fun performance for everybody and then at the end of the show we uh we all got up on stage and, and just tore down the boxes and threw them all out in the audience and That's gave rad. everybody like free stuff and it was it was like you know the, the venue was like you can't do that and we're like yeah we can you know stop it, it me was, now it was rad um tyler rubio also had another question um he was wondering uh if you have a comic-con favorite and if you have if you know if uh which comic cons or or which cons i guess i guess they have different names which ones you're hitting up this year, if any? Um, if I have a Comic-Con favorite, I'm not too sure what that means, but, like, maybe a favorite experience at Comic-Con? Or... Uh, I'm thinking, I think he maybe just said con, and like I just, because I'm from favorite? San Diego, so I, everything is Comic-Con to me. Oh, yeah, no, no, fa- I mean, San Diego is obviously, like, the best the best convention of the year for, for numerous reasons. Uh, I mean, every, every year, I have, I've been to that for 11 years, and it's gotten just more insane each time i i think that there's a little bit of of a downside to us smaller people when so such so many of the big corporations take over so much booth space that you know we the, the little guys get kicked out yeah. but um but at the same time the experience is always incredible and, and those those larger companies just bring a wider audience to to the chance that like you know there's there's no other place where like an artist of like our caliber can can sit at a table pay a thousand dollars and then like have the potential of 200,000 people walking by our booth and giving us that opportunity. You know, it's yeah. like, it's a, it's an actual social networking thing. What aside from the internet. So Comic-Con's amazing. Um, I will be at Comic-Con again this year. I don't know my exact schedule. The only other con- convention that I have planned right now is WonderCon, which is in Oakland. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's in San Francisco now. 
and it's uh that will be I think the first weekend of April, so April first to third. So that's and coming up soon. Yeah, Zero Friends will be there. I'm not sure what day I'll be signing. Most likely that Saturday or something. I'll be hanging out. But um, I, I like to I like to do conventions. Just this last year or two has been really hectic for me schedule wise. Yeah. Dan Eels plays the lotto and needs to know your three favorite numbers. Zero zero seven. 007. No, um, my three favorite numbers are, let's see, the lottery is like only up to like 60, unless it's in a different state. Which he I don't is know. in Philadelphia. Okay, I don't know this Philadelphia number, so let's keep it low. I will say 7, 8, and 9. Perfect. Done. Lottery winning. And he said he'll uh, donate 10% when he wins to a Zero Friends organization. I'm expecting it. Okay, perfect. Um, oh, you and- know what I can do actually? Hold on. Give me one second. <laughs> All right. Do you have an app for that? I'm sorry, what's up? Do you have a lottery app? No, I do. So I have this thing, which is which I use for to make most of my answers to my questions, which is the Mystic Eye. So the Mystic Eye knows all. Could you describe what it looks like a little bit? Yeah, the Mystic Eye is a uh, it's a fortune telling machine with a giant eyeball that you ask questions to a floating eyeball, and then it says yes or no. It's very. It's always precise. It's always accurate. And I basically, I would not be here today if it weren't for this. So I'm going to ask it if 7, 8, and 9 are the correct numbers for the Philadelphia Lottery. Okay, perfect. As of the air date of whatever day this airs. This will be out on Monday. So on Monday, okay. Hello, oh great mystic eye. On Monday, are the Philadelphia Lottery numbers going to be 7, 8, and 9? It is most doubtful. Probably Uh not. At least it's truthful. All right, sorry about that. My numbers were incorrect, but you should play them anyways because um, it's fun to gamble. I got one more question from John Fisher. He wanted to know. He wanted to have a tip for making eyes more expressive. Oh God. Um, well, all all of my eyes are like bugged out, and like they, everybody looks like they're either stoned or happy. Just like anything, I mean, look, like looking at hands or looking at eyes in general. Like I'd say, examine. I mean, it's most of it's in the eyebrows. Most of it's in the shape of the eyes. I mean, obviously, like if you look at really, really basic cartooning books, like they have exaggerated versions of stuff. If somebody's sad, their eyes are lower, you know, whatever. And and so, going off of those, there's like uh, like usually older older animation books have like really exaggerated looks. And I don't know, you know, I I don't I don't I honestly don't I'm not too comfortable drawing eyes, and I don't think that I draw eyes very well. And so I don't think I'm a very good tip for that. (laughs) Well, I I think, you know, for me, it's all about just studying, you know, like I'm constantly watching body language. And it's funny, like as an artist, I'm looking at things all the time, like, how do I draw that? If I was to turn that, if I was to turn that into line work, what would that look like? Right. You know, because which is is actually hard, Like, like, I mean, because lines don't exist in real life creating a realistic thing out of lines is really hard because it's like you look at a nose there's not a line anywhere on a nose (laughs) yeah so so like if you put one too many lines on a nose it looks like shit you know it looks like a humpty nose so (laughs) like especially when you're trying to draw girls or something like that it's like you put one too many line and there's a transvestite right there oh yeah if you do too big of a bridge if there's oh, yeah. too much of the middle part, it, especially on girls. That's why Mike Giants girls are so 
hot looking all the time because he uh, does those little button noses like perfect yeah, just like two lines yeah and it's like cool i remember or like uh you know uh the gibson girls where it's just like one little slash makes a, an entire nose all right. of a sudden right and i think for for me the trick is to 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 trick you into think you're seeing something three-dimensional that is really not right you know making shape out of something really flat just by a particular bend, a curvature to the line, like really study the curvature of, of the way things are shaped. And well, that, I think... that, that's why I'm a, I'm still, I, I think that like, I go through phases where I kind of want to cut back on my line art so much, but at the same time, like I love, like I come from loving skateboard graphics and loving comic books and loving graffiti. And all of those things are based on line work and like the expressiveness of line work. And so like, there's no reason for me to ever want to cut it out. Like I love line work and like, yeah. I love, I think one of the important things too in doing it is also recognizing line weight. You know, like, like that's why once I started using a brush for my line work, it gave it a whole new dynamic because you're naturally with going with the curve of something, the brush is spreading out more and it's creating line weight where like, you know, on, on an ass, there's a heavier line and, and, and the <laughs> foreground, you know, whatever, uh-huh. because you're like doing it and, and like, so I, I do, you know, when, when doing line work, I would say, stay away from certain things like, uh, like using the same exact pen for everything or using the same, like, like paint pens are, are I think a terrible way to do line art. Yeah, because there's so, so many people start like, with them. But yeah, you do, but there's absolutely no variation in anything. And so it's like, it's, it's, you just get this thick line, you know, I mean, I guess like, I guess it's just like with anything, you know, your tools, you know, I mean, like you can, I, I did just pens for so long that like but i would start i would start working three times as much on one drawing because i would start recognizing that that there should be thicker lines somewhere yeah so so these like thicker lines you know which is basically drawing it three times where a brush could do it in one swoop stroke right right yeah so nice um uh let's see kevin peterson wanted me to tell you hi but he has no questions what and um, I think that shout out. Yeah, just just a shout out. I try to keep the shout outs low, but usually I make people have a question attached. But we'll let him <laughs> we'll let him slide this time. Let's plug some of your stuff so people can find you on the interwebs. See what you got coming up in the future, and we'll let you go. We're uh, we're an hour twenty in already. All right, cool. Is that all right? Yeah, that's perfect. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, yeah. So I, I actually have a couple major things coming up. The most major thing that I've ever done in my entire life is coming out in about three weeks, which is Sucker Punch, which is Zack Snyder's new film. It kind of hits theaters on March 25th, and I was involved in a lot of kind of initial and midway design production stuff. Not, uh, I got to design some weapons for the movie. I got to design a little bit of the stage sets. I got to design some initial pro, uh, initial promo art. And I got to do some Comic Con marketing and there's a new art book out with a lot of the art that I've done in it. And like that whole experience was like completely incredible. The movie's insane. So congratulations on all that too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, it's still a surreal experience and it still hasn't fully settled in. So like until it does, I'm just going to be like, Oh, thanks. You know, like, but it's (laughs) the movie's incredible. So that comes out March 25th. So anybody who's listening needs to go see that. And there's a giant 30 foot bunny with mech in it. That's awesome. And, uh, Let's see what else. Um, I'm I'm constantly trying to grow zero friends and trying to expand our our zero friends stuff. We're working with with a couple other artists now. Um, zero friends started as kind of like, you know, an extension of my artwork, 
but with the idea that eventually we would kind of get people that are in, that that inspire me and, and and friends of mine and this and that. So we have a couple new things. We have a whole new line coming out with an artist named Skinner, who is like one of my favorite. Another line work dude. Yeah, love that dude. Yeah, I uh, uh, he showed at my gallery in San Diego. Okay. Uh, fuck, five years ago, nice. four years ago, him yeah. and all those other Sacktown knuckleheads cool yeah i i met uh i met skinner when i lived in sacramento back in 2000 and, and he's been kind of an inspiration since then um you know we were, we're always working with other artists like crayola and robert bowen and dave korea and, and uh and crayola is going to do the show in april oh cool nice yeah. nice uh you'll have to give him a shout out yeah we'll see uh, <laughs> you gotta come up you can come up with questions yeah all right i'll come up with questions um, yeah, so I, I zerofriends.com, you know, we're always doing new prints. We're doing new shirts all the time. Some other, I, I'm trying to get into some more. I really enjoyed working on Sucker Punch. So I obviously want to get into some more kind of filmmaking stuff. We're doing so hopefully some more Zero Friends short films this year with uh, Stephen Reedy as our director. And, and he's uh, he's insane. So we, we spent a lot of time doing doing stuff like we did a cage a music video for Cage last year. We did a bunch of our own short film stuff. So I'd like to continue that. Uh, I have a new book coming out just in time for Comic-Con. It's a new art book called Awful Resilient. And that will be, that's basically a 172 page book that chronicles the last like three years worth of work of mine. So that'll be fun. That's getting put out through Upper Playground and Ginkgo and Zero Friends. So that'll be available hopefully at Comic-Con. Working on a couple of other little small book projects because I haven't done books in the last year or two. I have a... uh, I don't know if this is like announced, but maybe I'll get in trouble if it's not, but who cares? Like I'll say it on this podcast. That'll be nice. Cool. Yes. Um, um, world premiere. In, in our world premiere <laughs> in, a, in October, uh, Skinner and I are doing an art show together at gallery 1988 in LA. Nice. So it's going to be a really, really crazy exhibit because we're, we're, uh, we're doing a versus thing. So we're going to fucking hate on each other and, destroy each other's artwork and it's going to be great that's awesome so that'll be fun yeah so. i'll have to get up to los angeles for that one that sounds like a, a keeper <laughs> all right what about uh your twitters or your your facebooks you want to give those a shout out yeah sure uh you can follow me on twitter it's just twitter.com slash alex all one word my facebook page i believe is the same facebook.com uh, my facebook page i have a personal one and a fan page um the fan the Personal one is really pretty limited to just like my personal stuff. And I, people try to add me on there and they get super mad when I don't, but it's like literally the only way I have to communicate with my friends. So yeah. I try to keep that low, but my art page is Alex party art. It's so it's on Facebook. It's Alex party art. And I, I interact just as much on there as I would on my personal. So if you add that one, awesome. My website, my art website is isuckink.com E Y E s-u-c-k-i-n-k.com and my my uh you can access my blog and the zero friends store from there but then also just zerofriends.com and has all my sellable stuff so awesome well uh thank you very much for doing the show i i appreciate it and uh i look forward to seeing all the uh the stuff you do in the future yeah let's do internet dap word all right brother have a great day Thank you again. You too, man. All right, later. Oh, girl, take a city out. One is cool. You can save number two for when the moon pulls. If you're drunk, get the wheel and you hope to crash into a hospital.
Ski pussy with a low drag and say, ah, ah, I need that mock one shit. I need this a young bitch. Snatching the sun, one titty out, then one laps to the tongue. Big dick money, I'll cake for coke. All day, good girl, she can lay for blow. She a freak for show, and it might be true. But I heard she got a friend with a titty out too. 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 Freak put a titty in a pretty mouth. This money isn't getting any greener. God damn it, god damn it, got, got, got granted you that. Work that shit, 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 work that, work, 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 work that. This money isn't sweating any skeezers. God damn it, god damn it, got, got, got granted you that.